This is inconstant. All right, hello everyone. This is a pretty special episode of Inconstant. My guest today is Yusuf Ghulam Hussein. He is a Mill Hill Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, primary school teacher, massage therapist, skateboarder, and all-round unicorn on the hot, crazy matrix. Uh, today we're going to be discussing Circe by Madeline Miller. Uh, Miller was born in uh, 1978 she, in Boston. She grew up in New York City and Philadelphia. After graduating at Brown University with a bachelor's and master's in the classics, she went on to teach Latin, Greek, and Shakespeare to high school students. Um, Circe is Miller's second novel, and it was released in April of 2018. So, Yusuf, why did you choose this book to talk about? Uh, I suppose um, I suppose I first came across Circe when I was about like, well, when I was a child, I heard the stories of Odysseus, tales of Odysseus, um, and uh, in various ways you kind of grow up hearing those stories. And um, the very reoccurring characters, and Circe happens to be one of them. And uh, last year I, I started reading I hadn't read for a very long time and I didn't know what I wanted to read. My goal of last year was to read books. Um, that was in January, actually, just on the way to uh, the Euros, in fact. Um, uh, I, I, was in, I was in Tesco, I was walking down the aisle and saw um, Heroes by Stephen Fry. Uh, so I read that, I read um, something else, and, uh, and then I read Cersei afterwards because... Um, I saw the cover, it thought the cover looked beautiful, uh, knew the character and had always been uh, slightly enchanted by her as well. Uh, so, so that's probably, truth, truth be told, I'm slightly enchanted by Cersei and uh, that's why I picked up that particular book and read it. And, um, and uh, it didn't, well, it, it, it was everything that I wanted it to be. So the, the thing about the kind of the Greek myths, it's one of those things where you're, because they're, because it's kind of like one of the basis of a lot of storytelling in the West, you kind of think you know what the stories are about because you've seen them referenced uh, so often in other things and um, you get a certain version in primary school and secondary school that might be slightly sanitized. I thought I had an idea of what the story was, was going to be about, but reading through the book, it turned out to be kind of something slightly, um, slightly different. So I just wanted to know what your um, initial thoughts on kind of like reading through the book were. Well, being a primary school teacher, my first thought, thoughts were as a teacher and knowing that Madeline Miller is also a teacher, um, that it was, uh, she'd set her, like she'd always set her, her students a task of writing in the first person the story of Circe um, and that was I think the, uh, the my, my initial impression I wasn't quite sure that I, I particularly liked it either I think in some ways the writing is slightly basic uh, however uh, as I kind of read into it 
uh, you know, it, it, it just sort of like it, it picked, it, it lifted me up and, and carried me along. And I just continued to read it until I finished it. Uh, it was interesting that you said about the sort of like the sanitized versions of Odysseus uh, because one of the versions that I've read, uh, and I actually, I, I went to see a storyteller telling the story of Odysseus when I was about 18. And uh, what's his name? Hugh Lipton. Or Hugh Lipman, I think. And he's written a brilliant version of Odysseus. And it's got a wonderful chapter with Circe in it as well. Uh, and I've read that many times to the kids that I teach. And, um, and I've also heard him tell the story. Of uh, so, so coming to the book as well, as you say, it was, um, I suppose it was quite a revelation. It was quite shocking as well. So there you go. Yeah, um, I've just realised I'm recording on the wrong mic. Can you just give me a second and I'll... Yeah, no problem. Yeah, okay. That's really annoying. That's really annoying. Okay. <laughs> Don't know why I wasn't uh, showing that. Okay, so um, let's get get into the, into the book. So I would agree with you in terms of the narrative style and the style of writing, I wouldn't say it's particularly um, complicated or literary or, I mean, it's not, it's not a difficult book to read, I would say. So I think it's, I think that's quite, quite a nice um, thing about it because I think certainly the impression I get is that when you're approaching the classics, they can be quite intimidating and, you know, unless you're really, a confident reader it might be um something that would put a lot of people off approaching approaching a, a text like that just in case there were words or phrases or references that um one would find uh difficult to interpret so i think that's one thing that i enjoyed about the book was that because it was quite straightforward and there were a lot of references to so I've got this habit when I'm reading a book, if there's a really complicated or difficult name, I, I will not um, bother kind of reading. I'll just call oh, that. So that character's called Tim then. Cause I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to bother kind of like trying to decipher what the phonetic, phonetical pronunciation <laughs> of the actual word is. So I, I did enjoy the fact that um, I wouldn't say it was, I don't want to say make it sound like it was like, um, you know, Tim and Tom go to the cinema or whatever, but it was it, it wasn't the most um, difficult book to read. No, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't, and, and, and in many ways, it's a bit of a, a kind of tour of the the sort of like the, the female characters in um, uh, Greek mythology, and, and certainly the, the stories are sort of like the, you know that, that are centered around um, the Iliad and the Odyssey. So. Uh, we see a number of different uh, characters, and um, uh, and what's interesting as well, because like you were saying, I, I I actually started referencing everything in this book because I was reading it and I was thinking, really, is this, you know, how much of this is fiction exactly? And uh, and, and it was fascinating to find out that, that that she has taken so many fragments of like ancient plays and. Um, I think it's called the something like the Clemenestria or something like that, and it's, it is the Iliad and the Odyssey are sort of like the ninth and tenth part of, of like this twelve-part epic. They're the only surviving um, 
pieces left, but there are other fragments of, of sort of like other stories left. And, and so this, everything in, in Circe, or, or, or in fact, near enough, everything that she references in Circe is, is, is actually based in ancient Greek literature as well, which I thought was fascinating. And, um, and, and so you get to explore the characters a lot more. I, I thought, you know, Circe was a, a, an amazing character because, you know, it's... It, the story is about transformation uh, as, as much as it, as it is a, a roller coaster ride through uh, sort of like all, all the classic Greek stories. So, you know, the, 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 it's, it works on uh, a number of different levels, I think, that the story does. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting that you kind of mentioned that this book focuses on the uh, female characters in the kind of Greek Greek mythology. Um, I was listening. I mean, it's, it's quite funny that we're, we're talking about this today. Um, Dan Snow, um, he's got a podcast called History Hit, and he's just released an episode today about called the Women of the Trojan War. And she, oh, you know, she, he, she, um, he was talking to Natalie Haynes, who is the author of um, A Thousand Ships which is a telling of the Trojan War from the all-female um, perspective. And in, in, in the podcast, he talks about kind of a lot of the action in the, um, in the Iliad. And she says like the Iliad's kind of like, a, you know, covers like a, a two, three-month period in um, a war that lasts 10 years. And it's all kind of from the perspective of the blokes in the field. And all the actual human drama actually happens within within Troy and kind of, it's all centered about or centered around how kind of all these female characters kind of interact with each other and you know what the men in this world are subjecting them to. So I think that's I think it's it's quite interesting. You've got you've got this book, you've got um uh Haynes's book and then I think uh we were talking before um about Margaret Atwood's kind of um interpretation of the of the Greek myths as well so i think yeah. it's quite interesting that there's kind of i wouldn't necessarily a feminist um uh, angle on it but just kind of bringing women further into the into the picture yeah absolutely the um you know my, my sort of like uh my reading last year w was entirely greek mythology and um and i've read a number of books um I read an another one you were Sorry, what was the name of the other author? Uh, um, I think it's Natalie Haynes. Natalie Haynes, right. So there was another one as well written by uh, Pat Barker called The Silence of the Girls. Um, and it tells a story of um, the pronunciation I always get wrong, but it's Briseis, or uh, yeah, Briseis, who is the prize of honour that um, Achilles receives. Uh, once he sat like one of the cities uh, uh, next to Troy, and he is given Briseis, and and the story starts with her watching her brothers being butchered by Achilles, and her having to then, you know, be be his, be his prize, and and, and it, it's fascinating. So so I kind of read that one, um, which. Again, I referenced as much as I possibly could because it, 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 it literally taken the story of, um, you know, from uh, the Iliad, sort of like certain elements from it. And I was thinking, really, is this, did this really happen in the Iliad? And this kind of got me um, 
kind of thinking about those ancient texts and what they were really like. And um, uh, I also read uh, Madeline Miller's uh, first book, The Songs of Achilles, which, um, although centred on the relationship between Patroclus and Achilles, uh, Briseis again appears in that, and the story is very much told from her point of view. So, you know, yes, you were saying about the, you know, don't want to call them feminist literature, but I suppose they are, uh, you know, that I suppose that's for the feminists to de decide. I, I, I'm happy to have read them. Yeah. And I was happy to have yeah. considered those stories, those ones where you think about Greek hero heroes being all-powerful men, actually, you know, being quite savage and quite base in, you know, everything that they do, and the women who suffer for it. Um, you know, uh, throughout all of these stories, and, uh, and you know, uh, and one of the examples is where Briseis uh, is taken from Achilles as his prize of honour, and Agamemnon takes her uh, as his prize, and and Achilles is so offended because his honour, this is it, his honour has been kind of uh, uh, been offended. It's not the fact that it's. Briseis. Briseis is just, a, you know, a prize. She's, she's nothing more than a prize. And this is the women, this is the women in Greek literature. It is certainly the, the Iliad and the Odyssey as well. And, and, and I think that these writers have all responded to those books and, and, written, and written their own. And, and, you know, you've got Circe, which, who, who has a, an amazing story. Yeah. yeah it, was, I was just, it was just quite interesting listening to sort of our, uh, Natalie's point of view on this because she was saying that you know people have got this idea that there's one version of greek mythology and there's kind of like the way she explained it was that there are so many sources with diverging different kind of origins around what happened around that yeah. that period and they were all some of them are contradictory and she's uh she was explaining there's there's one version of um helen's story for example where she gets transported to egypt the entire period of the trojan war mm. and it kind of like um um kind of a, a mirage or hologram is, is put in a place in troy so this kind of you've got these all these um contradictory storytelling so i think it's i think it's really important that we we do go go and look back at these because you know these stories have lasted for a reason. They speak to something deep within Western culture about what it is to be and kind of the way that we should kind of conduct ourselves. So I think it's quite interesting the point you made about um, the heroic Greek men quite often held aloft as, um, you know, these, these paragons that we should try and reach in our, um, in our own yeah. behavior, especially Odysseus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, actually, yeah. So, so in reading Circe, it, um, I don't want to give too much away for her, but you know, they're, they're, you know, Odysseus uh, uh, appears in the story, uh, yeah. which of course he will if you're telling the story of Circe. Yeah. Uh, so, so any any viewers listening, you know, spoil, unfortunately, the spoiler is, is already in. Yeah, we're we're, um, we're spoiling like a two thousand year old myth. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but, you know what? From but from his, you know, from his heroics that we we learn about as children, and and, and you know these are quest stories, and, and and 
you know, uh, voyage, you know, it's, it's about his voyage home and, and there, there's a very masculine story in there. But, you know, he really does wreck carnage all the way through. And you, when you kind of like actually do analyse uh, Odysseus uh, and the things that he does and the decisions that he makes, man, he is, you know, he's really quite despicable, actually. You know, he does everything to survive. And that includes kind of, you know, essentially killing his entire crew. So he's a terrible leader, which is about 600 men. You know, he's duplicitous. He's, you know what, funny enough, there's, there's a chapter in uh, the, uh, the Iliad where him and a fellow called Dionysus go on a secret night mission. But they, they go on a stealth mission. And, you know, Odysseus... Uh, he, he volunteers for it because you know he likes to kill people in the dark. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so so this is kind of like who, who we're getting to meet uh, through these stories. And actually, you know, uh, you know the Penelope app is a, is another interesting one. So you've got the Odyssey, which is obviously Odysseus' story, but Margaret Atwood. Uh, wrote uh, the Penelope app, and, and she has written Penelope's story. You know, the fact that. Odysseus is off on his like questing and he's off adventuring and, and you know kind of sleeping with goddesses and, and, and poking out the eyes of cyclopses while she is at home kind of like 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 well I suppose like women all the time is just holding everything down keeping the house sorted keeping things running bringing up Telemachus yeah. um, and, and that yeah. book kind of explores you know, Odysseus coming home and the things that he does and the fact that, again, the women of Greek myth uh, or Greek, yeah, stories are are secondary to, to the men who, who, you know, do exactly what they want, uh, uh, which, you know, there's a whole chapter on Xenia, uh, which is about hospitality, which, uh, yeah, which is a whole different subject. Yeah. I think it's, it's quite interesting that you... You put it that way. Um, so, so I think agency is quite um, a, agency for, for women in these in these stories can be quite limited. But I do think when they do take action, it's often devastating and powerful. Kind of you, you hear the um, is it Agamemnon's um, wife kind of like waiting for him to come home, so she you know she can kind of like murder him and kind of. Initially, it does. It, I would say a lot of the, the kind of um, the, 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 the women's agency in kind of Greek myths is kind of reactive, but it's it's there underneath the surface, and they do have to tend to kind of bind their bide their time until they've got um, enough power to do what they want to do. I mean, I think that's kind of one of the things that kind of runs through um, the, the um, Circe. A lot. One of the themes is that you know she has to wait a really long time until she's in a position in which she can kind of do what she actually wants to do and this kind of you know suffering a lot of the kind of blows that fate and her family um, bring uh, down upon her so i don't know what you what you think about that it's um yes and she has to wait you know thousands upon thousands of years you know it's uh, and actually you know as the story is told it's you know it's a, it's an interesting life um, uh, yeah, I you know the I don't know whether the 
the actions of the different women of Greek mythology are reacting. So you you mentioned uh, who did you mention just then? Uh, Agamemnon's uh, wife. Don't ask me to. Agamemnon's. <laughs> yeah, and I can't remember his wife's name. Clemestria. Maybe I, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, but she, I think, murders him, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, and, and and then there are you know there are the other stories. There's um, who is it? Uh, Jason turns up in Cersei. Jason yes. and is it? It's not Medea, is it? No, it's yeah. um. Oh God, I've forgotten her name. Ariadne. Yeah, is Ariadne? Uh, yeah, I think it is Ariadne, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Jason and the uh, no, no, no. It's not Ariadne. It's uh, Theseus. Um, ah. He leaves her on the island, doesn't he? Jason, uh, I can't remember. Anyway, you know, uh, so so she, and because the, these women, these particular women that do turn up, and I can't remember the other one who turns up in the story, who's, um, you know, the, the, the mother of um, the Minotaur. Um, uh, what's her name? Pat, Pat, no, Padera, Padera, I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, so, but all of them have to take such sort of like drastic action. I don't think it's reactionary. I think that they are pushed to the wall. They are pushed to their limits before they do something. So Jason's, uh, you know, and I feel terrible because I can remember Jason's name, but I can't remember. Um, is Medea, isn't the, it? The, it? I think it is Medea. Yeah, it must be Medea, yeah. It is. So Medea does two things. So that the, she she chops up her brother yeah. in front of her, you know, and the ship and throws him to the fish. Um, as you know, and, and that's not reactionary. It is literally a last ditch kind of thing to do. And again, what she does in, in the story of Medea, Medea is it Medea? Yeah. yeah. It is that she kills her own children. Yes. Because she has it's all that she can do and, and and it's such a sort of like a deep and powerful uh, statement that you know and, and these are and I, I suppose it speaks of just the uh, of the desperate time the desperation that women are, are kind of are are in you know, in, in, in those times. And actually, I don't, you know, I think those messages, are, you know, actually do resonate through time as well. So the story of Medea, that she, she kills her own children, is, is incredible, you know, but it's her speech at the end when, when she kind of explains herself and what she does it for, it, it absolutely, it, it stands the test of time. And yeah. then there's, you know, kind of moving away from Greek literature, there, there's Tony Morrison's Beloved, which you know, it is around the fact that she, you know, kills her her baby rather than allows it to grow up into slavery. Yeah. Which, um, you know, it's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating story. There's, um, there is kind of a weird, I wouldn't say, so, so reading this book made me realise how kind of a weird Greek mythology actually is. And kind of one of the stranger themes that I found kind of running through this book and kind of looking back, running through Greek mythology as a whole is kind of parents actually killing their own children kind of, if you, you know, um, for fear that their children might destroy them kind of this, you know, the idea of um, Zeus destroying Kronos. And then I think 
you know, you see this kind of like quite often, you know, Zeus is really paranoid about any little, you know, certainly in, in, in the book of um, uh, Circe by, by Miller, he's so paranoid about any kind of threat to his possible power. And that's one of the reasons why um, he, uh, you know, proclaims that um, uh, Circe's father, uh, Helios, can have no more children with his um with, uh, with um Cersei's mother for the fear of creating more witches and wizards that um will have the you know, potentially have the power to kind of like overthrow the gods in the end. Yeah, I mean that that was it, wasn't it? It was it was when when that was like revealed, you know. And again, I thought that was what I thought was wonderful about it was that we, we kind of meet this character who is considered ugly by the gods and the sound that she makes when she speaks is, is, you know, described as being kind of like a horrible scratching sound, but she has the voice of a human being. And I thought, and, and then, you know, she, and again, you, you said something earlier about that, you know, she, she's completely weak at the beginning. She has no idea about her, her power. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and that takes that whole time to, 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 to build up. It's, uh, I, I thought it was, it was great. Sorry, I forgot your question. I got lost in that. Um, yeah, I, was, I was just kind of kind of wandering around uh, about, you know, oh, you know the theme of children. Yeah, you know fathers and sons. Well, children yeah. and you know, mothers and daughters as well, kind of, is another Well, exactly. Thing that goes but but then, you know, the, I, I think that the... You know, in, in all these stories, and I did sort of like read Beyond Circe, and I did end up reading the Iliad, the Odyssey, and the Aeneid, like the actual ancient text, because I've read these, you know, kind of versions of, of the female characters, and I was fascinated by it, and I actually did want to find out about the, you know, where the source material. And, um, and actually, I think in many ways that the, the, the Greeks didn't talk about many weird things actually they talked about very they talked about human nature the gods reflect sort of like every facet of man um and you know that they're they're neither good nor bad they just are and um you know and they do what they do it doesn't matter whether they do it or not you know it's but us humans and we kind of almost reflect all of those so all those characteristics that the gods have they, they kind of like happiness their sadnesses their mischievousness their envy their greed their lust their average all those types of things they're just reflections of ourselves so the stories are timeless because they are about human nature um and, and you know the idea of, of yeah Kronos sort of like you know, or Zeus killing his father is, is a time timeless thing. It's you know, you're you have children who will outgrow you, who will you know, who to be, become themselves have to to kind of reject you. You know, they can't be. You know, they can come from you. I think Khalil Gibran said something about you know that they come through you. They not they aren't of you. They they but they come through you. You yes. know, and, and and I think the, the, the you know the Greek I think the Greeks had it spot on. I think they were real they were a real clever bunch those those <laughs> Greeks and their their, yeah. their literature yeah. is incredible. Um, you know, it's 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 been incredible reading these books. Yeah, it's um it's kind of quite interesting what you say about children. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the film uh, 20th Century Women. 
it's um it's with Annette Benning and um her character has a line where she's talking about her son and she says I am I'm I'm never really gonna know my son I'm never gonna know kind of like really what his internal life is like and kind of like you know who he is as a person because I've got to be separate from that his his mates and his his girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever are gonna have a better idea of who this actual person is because in order for them to come that person they're gonna have to be they have to be separate from me and kind of Mm. the pain of that realization as a parent can be quite well her character in the movie certainly felt that pain quite deeply because you devote so much time and energy and Mm. resource into bringing this thing into the world and kind of to be abandoned by it I I can imagine is quite a painful feeling even though that's kind of the entire point of it which is kind of yeah yeah at at the same time it's there there is joy with it I mean it's um there's that other film I can't remember the name of it you know terrible memory for all these things but um uh it was filmed over like 20 years or something and I think boyhood uh, boyhood um and there's a scene in it where he grows up and he goes to college and, and what's the what's the mother called? What's her oh. name? Uh, Annette, no, Arquette. Yeah. Something uh, Arquette, isn't uh, it? Uh, it's not Raquel Arquette. No, it's not. Uh, what's her name? Roxanne Arquette. Is it Roxanne? Something no, like that, yeah. Answer. Anyway, it's it's something Arquette. And, um, you Patricia. know, she drops him off. Patricia Arquette, right, so she drops him off and she sits down in her house and um, and she just breaks down in tears because it is that moment of separation. She's, you know, all, all that, you know, heartache, and uh, you know, all that joy, all that love, all that growth, all that, you know, sacrifice, you know, to, to then, in her case, to sit inside the empty house. Yes. I mean, it was a heart. It was bittersweet because he he is off on his journey as he should be. You know, you shouldn't hang on to your kids. You should be letting them go and, and you know being being there for when they come back. Um, and it's heartbreaking, you know. But yeah. then it's also a joy because you think you know they they have their life to live. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of one of Cersei's greatest pains in the book is that neither of her parents really have invested that much time or energy into their they're kind of off pursuing their own interests really so i think that's you know one of the, the greatest pains in her as a character so i don't know what you know what you felt about kind of her upbringing and how that kind of shaped the way that um she behaved later on in the story that's an interesting question. Uh, I'd have to reread the book, I think, to, yeah. <laughs> to answer that one. Well, Helia, do you know what? I thought that, um, so I'm not entirely sure how to answer that one. Let, let me think about it. Um, what I, I enjoyed, though, was Helios's house because it was obsidian. Yes. It meant, I think there was a description in it that it was like entirely black. And so when he wasn't there, it was. It, she moved around this cold, like, you know, marble surface of obsidian in, in total dark. And that, and, and that 
it only lit up when Helios came in because he was like the sun god and, and the place then just shone. He had no consideration whatsoever for anything but himself. So, you know, clearly his relationship with um, Cersei is, you know, a difficult one because he, he's just... Uh, Right, he's all about riding his chariot across the sky yeah. every day, like, you know, being well, he, he's, um, his chariot and his bulls, I think, are the two things that he really um, <laughs> cares about. So, we'll yeah, about absolutely. And, and, and again, um, uh, Cersei's mother. No, it's gone. I yeah, I mean, even if I yeah. didn't know her name, I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, the only name I've got in my head is Semele, but it's not for her. Um, you know, and again, isn't she interesting that, that they're both very, uh, they're both very narcissistic. They yes. are, you know, uh, as parents, and she kind of grows in the middle as this kind of all, almost untainted by them. Yeah. Um, because they have no real interest in her, apart from when they want to cause a bit of mischief or all when he needs to get rid of her because um, she, she kind of like is, you know, almost rocks the balance of the uneasy alliance between the Titans and the gods. Yes, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, other than that, yeah. Yes, um, just kind of touching on the other um, familiar relations that um, Cersei's had. Um, so this is this was not something that I was aware of, but you know her siblings. Um, is it Aertes? And mm. I, I'm not. I'm going to take a run at her sister's name. Uh, uh, <laughs> per, I've down. Pasifae. Yeah. Oh, Pasifae. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Pasifae and Aertes. Did yeah. you say? Yes. So Aertes is, is her brother. Yeah. Who grows quicker, you know, is actually younger. Yes. Becomes older yes. than Cersei. Yeah. And Pasifae is her sister. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Pasifae marries who? Um, Minos. Minos, who yeah. is Jason of the Golden Fleece, and and Medea is the daughter of Pasiphae. Yeah, and Cersei and Pasiphae are sisters. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. so in, in, yeah. So in fact, so so that was there, there's a really good example of uh, you know an interesting uh, I suppose triangle of female characters who all have. You know, through through the fact that they are siblings and related to each other, have this. I think it's called pharmatica, um, witchcraft yes. about them. And so each of those characters are, are, are you know, have you know, it, and further into the story, you know, in fact, you know, so it's Medea's own story uh, and Pasiphae's own story. Again, it comes back to that thing about being reactionary. The things that they do are not reactionary. The things that they do are the things of desperation. Yeah. There was... Yeah. I think my favourite passage in the entire book is when um, Pasiphae is trying to... She... she <laughs> She um yeah. she calls uh, she calls Cersei to kind of like um help 
uh, help with the birth of the, the the Minotaur, and like Cersei's like, yeah. what the hell? What the hell's happened? And she's like, oh, I've, I've fucked the ball. And I was just like, wow, that's a yeah, yeah, that's yeah, not a yeah, sentence yeah. I thought yeah. I'd be reading in this book. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. So, so uh, I'm not entirely sure it fit, but I also thought it was it was a brilliantly kind of human moment. Yeah, uh, and I say human moment when we're, we're in fact talking about like nymphs and goddesses. Um, so, so, and, and, and it was like a, 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 a very sibling thing. Yes, because you know, they have a real love hate relationship. I think that, in, in fact, I think that Cersei wants to be loved um, and and wants to be recognised because in in, in you know, she, she's cast into exile and she is ignored by, you know, in her upbringing and she's considered sort of like almost like the runt of the litter. Um, and again, it comes to that sort of like, as the sort of like the story progresses, the, you know, I said at the beginning, it's a story of transformations and, and you know, her, her power, her courage, her sense of self and identity only comes over time, you know, um, the birth of her son happens, um, which, which again, when, you know, I was reading it, I, you know, I did find it fascinating, um, but I thought, wow, I never knew this, um, yes. and I don't want to give too much away, and so I did read, uh, like, a whole bunch of, sort of, like, you know, so, or did a bunch of Googling uh, yeah. on, on the backstories and read sort of like who, who which character was and with, with, in fact, whether it was fictitious or not. Yes. And there are, as, as I say, there are kind of like ancient writings and, and fragments that, that have pretty much everything in there apart from the big blobby thing. Um, yeah. That I won't sort of like mention. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so like, the, the, her her son wasn't a character that I'd 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 ever heard of, and it was kind of a, and it's 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 kind of um, I was reading a, an interesting article about why um, it's so difficult to make uh, movies about King Arthur, and they'll you know one of the things was is that Arthur's story ends in tragedy, Camelot falls, and. It's, I think it's, you know, probably why this part of DC's history is not well, more well known, because it does end in tragedy. His his kingdom does fall, um, and it kind of almost falls by, by by his own hand, his own kind of hubris and his own, you yeah. know, it's this this idea of you know when you come back from war, winning the war is one thing, but winning the peace is another. And I've you know it's a you know I think it's kind of. Um, Another thing that I, I noticed about the book. Uh, are we talking about Odysseus next? I yeah, like, yeah. I feel yeah. like we're talking, yeah, slightly a riddle. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, that was really fascinating. So I, I kind of, I, I, I vaguely knew that before I read the story that, you know, um, but again, it, it sort of like demonstrated the very human character. And I think that, um, Again, the, the you know the the Iliad and the Odyssey you read those as tales of like glory and adventure and, and you know the power and the height and strength of the Greek element. 
but actually, you know, that if you draw them down into very human characters, Odysseus was never going to go home. I mean, his story is about, you know, going home, returning home. That's what he's focused on. 20, uh, 10 years or 20 years? 20 years. Yeah. Uh, 10 years, in fact. Uh, spent getting home. He's got this idea of what he wants when he gets there. But actually, the reality of that, you know, how could he ever settle down uh, to a ordinary, simple life? He, he is uh, um, very much, uh, you know, a victim of, you know, the, the circumstances found in him. He, he, as well as being like, you know, the total snake. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's yes. one of those. Yes. Yeah. It's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those um, situations where you know he he behaves abhorrently. And you kind of wonder how much is that down to his own character and how much is that down to kind of, you know, things like post-traumatic stress disorder and these other kind of mental illness things that might be kind of like um, factoring into his um, behaviour and his decision-making. Well, yeah, absolutely. And actually, uh, I said post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, that's essentially, you know, he's a man who's been at war for for, you know, the best part of his life, for half of his life, you know, and every day is like a struggle to And, you know, getting home to, uh, uh, where is it, Ithaca. Ithaca, yeah. Ithaca, um, and, and settling down. I mean, I, I, um, was it in this one? Um, what happens? Yeah, there is actually what happens. You know, it's, it's all crazy. And, and actually, if you read the Odyssey, he gets home and he just terrorizes, you know, because he does the suitors in. And again, that's another strand that, um, that that's picked up in, in, in the Penelope ad is that, you know, he comes home and he kind of claims his house for his own self and he hangs like the nine maids or something like that, the nine maid servants, because he believes that they have been in cahoots and, and, and you know, the, the, the thread running through the stories, the questions around, you know, him making that decision uh, and, and butchering these, like, nine young women. And it's a really dark part of the Odyssean myth that is kind of overlooked. Uh, but when you, when you consider what he does, you know, and again, it comes back to this thing about, you know, women in Greek mythology uh, be, being almost just the supporting class. And, and all these writers have kind of made them central. And actually, they have got rich stories to tell. Yes, I think that's, I think that's very true. I think we're, we're recording this in, in 2020. And there, um, just for a bit of context for anyone who might be listening to this in the future at the moment, worldwide there's kind of a debate about uh, statues and kind of um you know when, when you put up a statue of someone that's someone that should be admired for their um achievements in in the past and sometimes you need to kind of like reassess what those um achievements are so you know when we think of odysseus we don't think about the murder the fact that he got all his men killed we we, we think about this was a brilliant military strategist that um ended the war that was uh, going on for a very long time and he showed tenacity and bravery and trickery uh, in order to survive the war you know he he tricked the um he tricked the the cyclops 
but then had to let the Cyclops know what his name was, which essentially doomed all, all his men as well. And all you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, when he when he gets on, kind of slaughter, slaughtering these um, innocent women, and it's not something yeah. that we like to think about. Yeah. No, exactly. We kind of always concentrate on on sort of like the the you know the good in people, but it also you know this gets you to think about the whole person and and it gets you to reevaluate these these characters and and not just these characters, but just to as you say, it's twenty twenty. There's you know our, our leaders have to make very difficult decisions that you know. Uh, and the difference between life and death, much like the leaders in in Greek mythology, and, and and you know if you if you look at like Agamemnon and and, and Menelaus, that they are almost like spit images of um, Trump and Boris. Yeah, you know they, they they embody the same characteristics. They're egotistical. They're, they don't listen to their advisors. You know they kind of do things almost in a reactionary way. They, you know, in, in the case of Trump, they, they kind of deal with their problems, you know, very kind of, well, with military might, you know. The, yeah. the, the parallels are uncanny. And yes. so, again, coming back to, you know, the, the, the themes of these books, these themes are picked up on the fact that, you know, that there are certain characteristics of certain types of people and, and, and those books that, you know, are the cornerstones of Western literature. And I think, you know, in many ways, I think if, if they'd have been lost, it wouldn't have been a bad thing, you know. Yes. Two books that kind of were, were, were left behind out of sort of like the 12 of them are, are the books of war and the books of how, how to build the, is it the patriarchy and... Um, you know how to be a man and do whatever the hell you like, and you know it's it's kind of interesting that those are the books that kind of are considered, you know, cornerstones of Western literature. You know, it's yeah. about like men kicking ass. So um, yeah. I think kind of one of the definitions of art is something that once you've experienced it, it changes the way that you see the world, and um, I think. With books like Circe, I think they I think it's really important they help us reassess what these stories that we've been told for millennia now, what they actually mean for us in kind of like the um in the modern in the modern age. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's you know I think that's one of the things I really appreciated about it was. You know, when we when, when you first suggested this to me, I just think, oh, Greek mythology is a bit kind of an like old hat, <laughs> and then kind of like no, but there is there's room for reinterpretation and um, uh, reassessing how we should use these stories going going forward, and especially you know as you was mentioning about um, Trump and Boris and the rest of those guys. You know, um, having having read those books, and I read sort of like a number of them, and, and they were by female authors, and, and it really did sort of like get me to consider this entire different history. And I say different history from, you know, the stories of the Iliad and the Odyssey. And, and actually, it did lead me to the fact that, you know, once I've read all these things, I thought, you know what, I am going to read the original text. And I read the Odyssey first of all, and that was... Um, and it, you know, it was interesting that this, you know, when I read that, it, 
you know, I read all these books and then I thought I can't not read the Iliad and the Odyssey. And um, and so I did. And so the Odyssey, I, I read them back to front. I read the Odyssey because I was familiar with the story. And it was the first translation by a female uh, author, a female translator uh, in in 2000 years and it was fascinating because she wrote an introduction that i thought was very down to earth very very accessible um but also kind of considered some of the language that's been used over the last 2000 years and the fact that it's been interpreted and written by men and so with her understanding and knowledge and her you know what she brings to her, her translation she there were there were she came you know she reinterpreted certain kind of words and phrases uh, and, and that I thought was fascinating because then afterwards I read um, the the Iliad and the Iliad uh, was written what was it it was by Robert Faggles translation and i tell you what like it was so stuffy and it was like so full of academia um and it was you know his writing was almost like one of the characters from a greek myth yeah um so i read them and actually it, it kind of it having read them and they were long and they were hard and they were boring uh but they were also really fascinating especially because i had read all that I had read prior to kind of coming to those, you know, the, the ancient texts. Yeah, it's, um, I think you raised a really interesting point about a lot of history being written by men and kind of, I think, I think it's a good thing that we do reassess what contributions um, women have made to cultural, technological achievements. Um, I'm, I'm just... Yeah, thinking off the top of my head, uh, things like hidden uh, a movie like Hidden Figures, where you know these African American women played an absolutely key role in getting uh, America to uh, to the moon. Never heard of them. You know, men are really, really. If there's one thing men are really good at, it's taking credit for stuff, and it's um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um, it's 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 true and kind of. I think it's good that these um you know women are starting to be and it's i hate this word but being a bit more bolshy about saying you know what no no i i did this this was my achievement you know um you can you can you can bog off i'm i'm taking the taking the credit for this and we actually do um we do allow out of them yep that they, they they are given the 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 credit they that they deserve yeah Again, kind of going... was written by the victors. Yes, you know, yeah. His story, yeah. and, and, and you know, and it's as you say about reinterpretation, or not reinterpretation, but like maybe kind of opening up, you know, other areas of our, our understanding of history, and and, and, and that's very relevant um, with everything that's going on again. Yeah, you know, at the moment. as you say, the putting down of statues. It's you know, one one of the ways you kind of uh, I, I think you kind of address that is by looking at the history and and you know and start to kind of assess it again and maybe add to that history, especially you know now that 
there are more people involved in that history. You know, discussion. Britain, you know, yeah, exactly. And anyway, that'll go on forever. Yeah. Um, just kind of like the last uh, couple of things I wanted to um, talk about in the book because we've gone on for nearly an hour now and I don't want to do too much more editing. Um, in terms of Cersei's journey, what did you make of the ending of the book? I thought that, again, it's, it's some time since I've read it, but yeah. I, I, so I'm just going on feeling and I think I felt pretty blown away by it. You know, I, I thought that, I don't know how much am I allowed to say because it's just it's really talk about it, man. Yeah, like we're an hour oh, okay. in. Yeah, I, I, yeah exactly. Um, nobody will be listening by now anyway. You say that when I announced on Twitter that um, I was going to be talking about this particular subject, it's only one or two replies, but it'd be the most replies I've 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 received about any topic. So I think it'd be yeah, I think there's quite a lot of interest in kind of. Um, oh. Ooh, well, there yeah, you go. Sorry, yeah. um, so, um, I, th- I thought the meeting between her and Telly, yeah, and Telly Gollis and Telly yeah. I mean, it was yeah. it was incredible. It was you know that there was there was so much about motherhood in there. You know, there was so much about joy and there was so much about pain. That's what I kind of vaguely remember about the ending. And I thought it was very powerful, that. And I thought that, you know, if you're talking about sort of like, you know, feminist literature, it was was very much a woman's story. I mean, that's what I thought was powerful about it, because actually I don't think I've really got any understanding of any of that, you know, as a fella. Yeah. And I don't want to get into a conversation about men and women and all that sort of thing. But, you know, just really, I don't. I'm a bloke. So... But reading it, that's kind of like what I, I got from it. I thought that the ending was, and I thought the ending was inevitable. And I think that that was her journey. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that kind of wraps up the discussion uh, nicely. I'd like to thank you very much for um, uh, coming in and discussing the book, especially at kind of like such a late hour um recording this kind of like 10 o'clock at night so and i know you as kind of an early bird where are you working on any interesting projects at the moment or that you want to let people uh, know about where can they find you on social media all that all that good stuff i i can't even remember what's my uh, social media i'm yusuf g yusuf dot g underscore bjj i think yeah yusuf.g underscore bjj it's funny you know what i i sort of like i've um i don't know whether you're going to be uh filming or anything but um i've uh, i've been reading all these books i'm reading another one at the moment called the moors account you might want to have a look into it because it's fascinating it's really fascinating and again it's like a a, a retelling of a story but it's a retelling of a uh, of a slave story on a 1539 adventure into that florida with a bunch of conquistadors um that's you know so i'm reading that you know so i i've I, I had to move away from Greek mythology. Uh, I read a bit of Ovid from it as well, his poetry. And I've started kind of getting into that. And during the lockdown, far ahead, I don't know what's been going on, but you know, 
don't remember if you've seen any of my little paintings and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah, have on Instagram, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I just before um, finishing, uh, well, just before getting on, coming on here, I ended up doing this today. Oh, that's amazing, Yusuf, man. It's really good. Really good. Um, you know, so that's what I'm working on. I've, I think I've given up reading. I find it boring. <laughs> yeah. You need to you need to get um, back into uh, graphic novels, mate. That's um that's how I'm doing most of my reading these days is uh, just reading uh, comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I I I'm I'm happy reading sort of like the books that I'm reading. Yeah. Um, and I'm painting, and actually, you know, I I I, I suppose the, the the thing that I really enjoyed last year was that by goal at the beginning of the year was to read but I didn't know what I wanted to read uh, and I've been moaning at my kids at school you should read books and I didn't do it myself but I sort of like set myself that task and, and it so happened that the first book that I picked up was Greek mythology it was uh, Stephen Fry's Heroes I think it was and, and it was rip-roaring but it, it began to you know it began to make me think and reevaluate the characters and by the end of the year I sort of like ended on, on the sort of like the three big ones you know the heavyweights and um uh, and I sort of like achieved my goal of just reading and I read for pleasure. Um, but I also kind of felt like my kind of like knowledge and understanding of, of not just sort of like the Greek world and, uh, and, and mythology um, had kind of expanded, but my kind of understanding of human nature. Because I think that these stories kind of deal with it and, and you're faced with sort of like characters who are not just two-dimensional you know they make choices they make decisions they're they you know as as do the gods um and and so do we yep that's a good point to end on i think um again thank you very much uh yusef uh, <laughs> um just a, a couple of show notes to to end um for see-through panel my other podcast about comic books we are going to be doing uh titan uh, which is a sci-fi comic and uh, criminal, which is a crime comic. And um, hopefully that episode will be coming out next week. And um, my next guest will be the run in himself, Marcus McKenzie, and we'll be doing a comedy interview type thing. Thank you very much in uh, everyone. Stay safe. And um, yeah, Black Lives Matter. Thanks guys. Thank you, Yusuf, man. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, no, pleasure, man. That was uh, great fun. Really.